The Pinball Network is online. Launching The Pinball Show. Pinball is a game of skill. For some, it's a passion and a lifestyle. It's time for The Pinball Show. It's pinball with personality. All right, we are back with another The Pinball Show interview series. I'm your host, Matt Morrison. Our guest this month really needs no introduction. A modern gaming and internet legend and coming out with a sophomore pinball layout in the not-so-distant future. Our guest this month, Ben Heck. How's it going, Ben? I am okay. It's 60 <laughs> degrees here in Wisconsin, so that's nice. <laughs> it is nice for Wisconsin. So. Yes. Um, in case our viewers, uh, you know, maybe don't know who you are, could you give them a quick uh, rundown, just your brief history? Right. Um, yeah, so I, I started out as a graphic artist, actually, a long time ago. Uh, I'm like 45 now, and I was doing that when I was, you know, in my 20s. And then around, yeah, 2000, I started doing, like, video game modifications, like making portable video game systems out of classic systems, kind of as a hobby, but then it, it grew and grew. Then I... 2004, I started, I became uh, self-employed and just started doing that kind of stuff full time and never really got around to working, you know, for the man again, uh, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, so I do a lot of stuff with like, I would do like video game consoles. I'd be making laptops out of Xboxes. Then 2006, I got started making like uh, controllers for pe- persons with disabilities. And I, I still do that. Actually, I just shipped one out just today right before we talked yeah and then also yeah around 2010 uh, i made a i made a custom game from scratch i made uh, bill paxton pinball right and i took it to the midwest gaming classic and people were like wow this is so this is so cool because i don't i don't think anyone had made a ground up custom machine before it was or it was one of the very first and yeah when i did that i started getting involved with pinball people and just kind of grew from there and then uh since then like most of the 2010s i spent doing my uh ben heck show which was a corporate sponsored show with a uh, newark slash element 14 out of chicago and then around that time i also worked on the first spooky game you know you know help them get started and then i stopped doing my show and now i am back to just doing like contract engineering although again i am working on some pinball related projects both for spooky and cgc very cool. Yeah, my brother actually turned me on to, to some of your stuff early on. We were both video game collectors, and uh, you, when you did the portable NES, he was like, "You got to check this out." And ever since then, I've been, you know, kind of uh, popping in and seeing what you're working on. Um, oh, nice. And, yeah, and as you know, the prices of video games kind of skyrocketed. Uh, I cashed out of those, uh, unfortunately, maybe a bit too soon because during COVID, they they kind of went up even more. They did. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. I actually cashed out on any of my valuable Nintendo games probably around 2018 when I was moving. Yeah, so I well, guess you... I should have hung on a little bit longer. Like basically anything that was over 75 bucks, I, I just eBayed it because you know. Right. Not? Yeah, they they did. You know, I guess some of the A tier games they they kind of kept trickling up a little more, but yeah, everything was is just crazy up right now. And I think I cashed out kind of when you're talking about. I was like, oh man, it's never going to be like any higher than this. With those disability controllers, uh, the last interview I saw with you, um, and actually there's a really good video you had the other day where where you were fixing one a client sent back to you, and you were going over working for Funko Land and stuff like that. 
there was a guy at one point, and I can't remember, he was trying to do a startup company, and he was going to make a disability kind of controller for a pinball machine, I'm guessing something that would kind of strap to both sides to hit, be able to hit both buttons from one side. Oh, what was ever, that? Well, yeah, that's been several years ago, and I haven't, I've tried to Google and find it again, and I, I couldn't pull it up. I was wondering if you had ever thought about, you know, coming up with a, a way to do that. We did a show episode about that once, 2016, and yeah, it was, it was like for one hand or the other, and what you would do is you would like suction cup it to mm-hmm. one side, and then you'd push the flipper button, and then there was a secondary button, and when you pushed it, it moved a server on the other side that would push the other button that you didn't have access to. Right. Was there much demand for that? I mean, after people saw that show or not really, (laughs) I I, I did something like that for arcade joysticks as well. Demoed it at, uh, Southern fried 2015, I want to say. Right. Yeah. And that was a thing where you slid it over the joystick and then there were buttons on the joystick and then you set like these weighted plungers. Oh yeah. We actually, we actually weighted them with, um, lead bird shot uh we actually were ripping apart shotgun shells with one <laughs> uh so you'd set those over the two buttons so basically you could do everything with just the one joystick and it, you know it was kind of like we, we made it kind of like xenophobe where there was like two buttons on the stick itself and then you could push those buttons and that would do like jump or punch or whatever the regular buttons would do uh yeah mostly though i build for you know like xbox one xbox core or PlayStation 4 um, controllers that work with just the left or the right hand. I, right. I haven't made a PlayStation 5 version yet. I need to, but, you know, it's on my list. Exactly. And with the uh, – I know you also were working on, like, latency for consoles, some of the video game developers. Are you still doing that? Yeah, I didn't sell very many in 2020 because everyone was working from home. Right. Uh, but that is something that I have done uh, first – First game to ever use one of those, uh, Modern Warfare 2, in like 2009, I want to say. Weird, like a couple, not that long ago, like a, just a couple years ago, they're like, can you repair it? And I'm like, you guys are still testing Xbox 360 <laughs> controllers? And they're like, yeah, for some reason. Like, oh, for, oh, for when they do like backwards compatibility, I think. Ah. Uh, yeah. I, 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 yeah, I've actually, well, yeah, those, yeah, they, they help you visualize and log the latency between the physical game controller itself and the system. Sure. And yeah, I've built a lot of those. They've used it on uh, pretty much every Call of Duty title has used it for 12 years. Um, Microsoft buys a lot. Rockstar has a lot of them. Ubisoft has a lot of them. Um, yeah, I pretty much sold to all. Oh, also, you know, when everyone was getting into cloud gaming? Mm-hmm. Well, again, I mean, like in the last couple of years. Uh, yeah, it's really it's re- really interesting to see what companies are testing latency. It's like, oh, Intel wants one, NVIDIA. It's interesting to see, you know, where the demand comes from. Or Google had one because they had Stadia. Right. Uh, yeah, so it's it's not terribly interesting, but it is something that I've done, you know, pretty consistently for 12 years. So there's actually, you know, you can actually play through a video game and I'll be in the credits as special thanks because of because of that stuff in some cases. That's cool. So th- I know this doesn't really have any you know, relevancy as far as like latency from the flipper buttons to uh, a pinball machine, but something in the code I've noticed on the newer Stern titles, Elvira uh, being one of them, and I noticed it on Turtles, any game that like runs more animation, I've actually had the game kind of brick and restart. And it's usually when I have a big, like one ball that has just lasted forever. You know, I just blow the game up on one ball. Software resets? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh my I gosh! Th- Sounds like a like a memory leak issue or something. 
Well, yeah, at first I thought, well, maybe it was just uh, like a bug in Elvira. But and then when I got my turtles uh, for a little bit, it, it, it also did it a few times. And, uh, you know, I was like, I know the next generation of Spike, they're going to upgrade to like a larger core processor. So I was like, Ben Hex, the guy to ask, like, why is this happening? That's probably a memory leak of some kind. If you have so much going on without everything resetting, you know, like when you recycle per ball, it's kind of weird that it would do that. Because I think they have, well, they they beefed it up. Like um, the first Spike system, oh, what did they have? Like a Atmel arm, I want to say. And then I, yeah, I was running Linux. And then I don't know if you've opened up like the newer games, like Elvira, as you mentioned, but um, it's, it's, you know, Spike 2. Mm-hmm. And they have that little daughter board. So like the CPU modules actually plugged into the main board with a slot. Uh-huh. Which makes sense because then they could upgrade the CPU by just changing that little board instead of having to change everything since right. the CPU is not actually soldered directly onto the main board itself. I had I haven't heard of that issue. That's weird. I know there yeah. was some there was some people talking about flipper latency on some of the early CGC games. Probably has to do with emulation. I hadn't heard about Stern's rebooting. That's a new one on me. Yeah, and like I say, I, I've got an Avengers now. Never, it's never happened. And the that's new why, Avengers. Yeah, the new Avengers. So I just unboxed it, you know, a week or so ago. And I've been playing it a ton, and the it's it hasn't happened. And the only thing I can think of that I, I could tell a difference, like Turtles has kind of Stern's, you know, weird cell animation kind of thing, and then Elvira has like full clips. And I will say, like. Some I think it's the largest downloads I've ever like updated a Stern game with has been Elvira. They're they're massive. There's a lot of video files in that. Although even if you know they're doing you know cell animation or well simulated cell animation <laughs> rendering on Turtles, it's still going to be encoded as a video file. I highly doubt they're actually rendering that on the CPU. I don't. I mean right. maybe they are. I mean they probably have enough horsepower to do that. I mean I will say. Uh, obviously, well, you said it was fixed with Avengers Infinity Quest, right? Right, but Avengers is like still photos. Like, they're almost like, there'll be a little back and forth between the still images uh, of the characters. Oh, so it's just like static assets from yeah, style Yeah, or, yeah, you'll yeah. have to check it out, like in a YouTube video. Uh, Carl D'Angelo on IE Pinball is destroying it. So if you want to see the whole game, just go over there. But uh, yeah, it's it's not like any type of animation or video, really. I wonder if they would still encode that as a video file. I mean, that's what we did on Alice Cooper. You know, it's basically just slid a bunch of still images around the screen. It's probably because, you know, if I had to guess, you know, it would be like, oh, well, if you were to animate this like the old X-Files cartoon, it would cost a bloody fortune. And, well, I kind of like what they did with Deadpool, where they kind of used the theme of, you know, a fourth wall breaking character to make everything look like a 16-bit video game. I thought that was kind of cool. Perhaps they couldn't do that with um, with Marvel's Infinity Quest or whatever. Yeah, but, I've also I've also heard that game was kind of on a bit of a time crunch. I, yeah, the rumor is they did it in six months. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty, definitely. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Well, that, that's cool. Any current projects you're working on, or? Well, right now, I think it's CGC is. They've got two games ahead of me. They've got their next remake and then their first non-remake game. So. Right now, we're basically, you know, taking my design and uh, figuring out the mechanics and figuring out how to do things. And I know we were um, changing some things with the upper play field. Actually, uh, cut a prototype of that on my 
my own CNC machine last week. I'm probably gonna assemble that this week and see how it see how that how it plays. Oh, you know, if we, we don't have the exact motor we need for it yet, but I, I can you know cobble something together pretty easily. Uh, yeah, so we've been kind of doing that again. It's it's a bit slow going. I think they're um, they're trying to get their other stuff done right now, and also there's a lot of uh, parts shortages going on in the world, not just for pinball, but everything so that's probably not helping like there's entire ford plants that are shut down right now because if you don't have one microchip you can't finish a car yeah yeah tom alluded to that uh when i had him on last you know that everybody's fighting for steel and and all different types of components it's you you, when you have to battle gm or ford like you're probably going to lose because they have a lot more money than a pinball company (laughs) it'll be like rocky four you will (laughs) Yeah, or like last summer, I remember Spooky uh, Pet G was in shortage because everyone was using it to make those sneeze guards at cashiers. Yep. Yeah, oh, and hinges too for some reason. <laughs> I uh, guess we expected that one. Yeah. Yeah, it's just kind of funny how that works. So it was really like our our own version of like the World War II shortages. I mean, for a different reason, but uh, well, I think everyone knows now. But we're um, we're developing the uh, new driver board system for the spooky game so yeah I, that's where i was going i was curious if if you were going to work on another uh you know proprietary board yeah we have and it's um i think we're getting the final prototypes pretty soon and then i believe we have to do the full production run because Spooky's starting their new game in june wow. and uh, we we are going to offer if any other manufacturer wants it we'll sell it to them so very cool. Uh, yeah, if they're interested, they should they should hit me up or hit Parker up. And it's we made it very aggressively priced. I'm I'm really big. You know, I'm like obviously I'm like into classic computers and game systems and cheap always wins. <laughs> well, I've seen you go into thrift stores and like harvest batteries out of phones and things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I, like, I, what is he gonna do with that? <laughs> I, I had to I actually I actually uh, I did a errand run. And then I'm like, well, I'm within half a mile of this one thrift store. It's not a good thrift store, but I might as well stop in. And sure enough, they didn't have anything. Well, I would never use any of that for a pinball machine. But Sure, yeah. No, it's like if you get – well, what did I find last week? Well, I, I think psychologically I think what it was was not being able to go to conventions. My brain wants to dig through piles of junk <laughs> like video games or broken controllers or laser discs or whatever they'd have at a show. And I think Goodwill hunting is my uh, self-medication for that. You know, it feeds that itch. Like last summer, well, I have it right here on my wall. So last summer, I'm like, I'm going to find every model TI graphing calculator at Goodwill's. (laughs) Now I have the whole collection. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. There's no reason for it, but I just did it anyway. Like LiPo is like, what did I find last week or a couple weeks ago? There was like this broken thing, like a broken base of like a digital picture frame. And I'm like, oh, how much for this? And they're like, oh, I don't know. And they asked the manager like three bucks. And I'm like, oh, sold. And <laughs> you rip it apart and there's two big giant lipos in it. Like those would cost you like 25 bucks on Amazon. So, yeah, stuff like that where I know I can, you know, I can always use lipos. Interesting. Yeah, the um, it, it's funny because – when the when I was game collecting in full swing, you know, I'd be at a flea market and on a table would just be like a crap ton of random power supplies, and then I'd see one for like a Coleco Vision. I'm like, I know I'm never gonna need it, but I can't leave it here. And <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, a really good one is the zip drive, the external zip drive power supply. Uh-huh. A good find because it's like 
two or three amps at five volts, exactly five volts, it's a very useful power supply to scavenge. Huh. I'll have to keep an eye out for that. I, I, what always bugged me, I remember, was like on the Sega platforms when like the CD, the 32X, and the Genesis, they were all like, I think just slightly different voltages. Like you could kind of interchange it, but people didn't recommend it. You know, all three of them. Yeah, you had to have all three for the tower of power, you know. (laughs) They They had a special power strip that Sega sold with the slots angled and spaced at just the right way to fit all of those. Cause you know, when you have those three bricks, I ran into this just yesterday when I was rebooting my router. It's like, oh, I can't fit all these sideways plugs in. Yeah, those were the days. Yeah, you know, you know, it's funny, and I promise the viewers, uh, we'll we'll get away from video games, but this is gonna tie in at some point. But um, my brother, he worked in fiber optic cable, like really, really early on, and he ran the first initial batch of cable for Sega TV, and I still have a spool of it. <laughs> it says you know, Sega T- TV on it. That cartridge thing? Yeah. Uh, Sega Network, right? Yeah, Sega Network. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's like some games that were only released on Sega Network, if I recall. It's true. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of like the Famicom thing in Japan for the Super Nintendo. You know, they had some add-on stuff, um, like that Zelda game that was kind of the first Zelda game remastered. But it, I can't remember what they called it, but it was like a, a was, downloadable thing. Was that on the disc, the Famicom disc system? Uh, I don't, I don't remember, but I, I remember it was like a, a downloadable kind of content thing. They even had an expansion for uh, like Chrono Trigger. It was like oh. a, it was like an, an add-on kind of game, like an addition. Oh, it was almost just story, yeah. Because in Japan they had kiosks where you could take your Nintendo floppy disks, stick them in, and like put games on it. Oh yes, that that yeah. This is I think this was more Super Nintendo era when. Oh the, okay. Yeah, yeah, not the original family. Oh, uh, what did it have back then? Do the X-Band modem? I know that's not the Sega network, but I think they had that for both consoles. They uh, did. Genesis and uh, Super Nintendo. With Spooky, what was the, I mean, your game just kind of got lost in translation, you know, with, with their release schedule. Was there yeah. a reason why it got kind of like boggled out or what happened? Uh, well, I mean, I can't go into all the details. Yeah, sure. Like probably like basically Alice Cooper wasn't ready yet. And they had to put TNA on the line, and I kind of got lost in the shuffle. Okay. Yeah. Then I kind of got tired of waiting, very much like <laughs> Dennis Nordman at Stern, how he got tired of waiting for Elvira 3 to be made. Because Elvira 3 was made, like, it was done, like, at least two years before it was released. It sat forever. So so how did Charlie get hooked up with CGC? Has there always been a relationship there? Like, uh, it's It's only a couple years old. I I want to say the deal with that was um, Doug was looking for more content and he reached out to Charlie and Charlie's like, oh, Ben's got this game that. <laughs> <laughs> so Doug was like, oh, yeah, yeah, let me see what let me see what you got. And then I think Spooky threw a prototype together in like a week, wow. which of course made me think, oh, man, didn't move that fast back in the day. Um, and then Doug's like, oh, yeah, this is cool. And then. That's still the licensing took a while on it. I'm I'm not going to say what it is, of course. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that's still well. That's kind of how it got started. I think. Also, I think Charlie was kind of interested in some of the technology that Doug has. I know they're. Well, I probably can't speak too much to it. Uh, but yeah. So that's kind of the thing. It's so it's it, it is like a CGC spooky co-production, but I'm mostly working with CGC, and right now I'm working with their engineer. Uh, most of the time. So they have an engineer on staff, I guess, or like a contract guy. 
Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, they've been really good about, you know, mechs and stuff. So it's like, you know, oh, let's do this, this, this. And um, yeah, it's been really cool to see how my original concepts have been translated into, you know, well, by more experienced engineers than myself. And it's cool. I mean, yeah, stuff changes, but I think it'll be my big thing. And I maybe have a note about this, but I I firmly believe that the pinball experience should be on the play field. And so much now is put onto the screen. I What my personal thought is, well, I guess locations aren't what they used to be, but hopefully they'll come back. The people who are on location playing games, they're millennials or younger, right? Sure. And I think what happens is you have things like, oh, I don't know, the pin bar, where they try, <laughs> to, they try to say, oh, what do the young people like? Oh, they like screens. Let's give them a screen. And I don't think that's I don't think that's the right approach. Young people see pinball as this obsolete, intricate mechanism from the past. Like millennials are obsessed with things like VCRs and tape decks and stuff. So the big thing I want want to do with my game is make sure there's lots of mechanical satisfaction on the play field itself. So that's one big thing I'm pushing for. And so far they've been, uh, yeah, they've been okay with it. I mean, I'm, it's not, we're not going too crazy, but there's, there's going to be some neat stuff in there. So hopefully yeah. people like it. And it sounds like an upper play field, which is, which is sweet. It's funny because uh, out of all the games I've ever brought home, the one my daughter, uh, who's normally playing like, you know, either a Switch or a tablet or, you know, something like that, maybe a PC game, uh, it was Whitewater. Like, she saw the topper and was like, whoa, that's awesome. And then, like, you know, there's the Yeti on the play field. She played that game more than any game I've ever brought in the house. Oh, Whitewater is a, a great game. And, yeah, there's lots of stuff on the play field. Like, there's a lot of things for the bowl to interact with. You get to see it go down the cool ramps. And that's the nostalgic part. So, you know, for, like, Gen Xers and boomers, pinball reminds us of when we were in college and drinking beer all the time and, you know, trying to meet girls at the bar. You know, that's that's our nostalgic connection. But, yeah, young people, they like it for the the physicality of it because that's something they never really experienced in their touchscreen lives. Right. And with being a little more mech heavy, are, are you still concerned about flow or are you more of like Pat Lawler kind of stop and go? Uh, what's, what do you think the new game's more leaning towards? Well, the, at least the prototype that I made, there was a pretty good amount of flow. My my big thing was having multiple paths for the ball. So, like, if you do the orbit this way, it comes back over, you know, nicely to the flipper. Make sure the ramps have good returns. So, I'm trying to have really good flow. And the thing, another thing that we're pushing for is if there is stop or go, it's like, okay, here's a shot. And the ball could be stopped on the shot to set up something else, or it can just pass through. So, oh, okay. Right. So I, I and uh, but I also do believe um, sometimes I think spooky struggle with that with like the, uh, the Rob Zombie game, for instance, is sometimes you you need ways to stop the ball because that allows you to set up, you know, oh, we're going to set up a mode. We're going to set up a soft lock or a multi ball. So even though, yeah, stop and go. Uh, yeah, I'm not really a huge fan of stop and go myself. However, um you, I think you definitely need it because it allows you to make breaks in the gameplay, which allows you to build rules off of it. Because if the ball's constantly moving, it's kind of hard to tell a tell a story or get people involved unless you, you know, distinctly move. Yeah. Like that. At some point, it has to stop to show you an animation or something. You know, it can't endlessly mm-hmm. be flipping. So I know you're you're coding this game, right? Yes. Okay. Cool. Um, I don't know how much you've played Avengers, but this the the rules on this game. 
are insane, man. Like all, where you can put all the gems, you know, and how you can stack it with other multipliers. Do you see yourself going that far? It's almost like the game's not really necessarily that long. I mean, you can have a long game on it, but it's almost like the, the code is so wide with what you can do with it. I guess the breadth of, of code. What, what do you think uh, you're leaning towards here? I haven't really gotten that far yet. I would say the, the what, what I'll shoot for when I actually get into the code, which I haven't yet, I, I want the game to be very mechanically satisfying when people play it. And then what I would do for the tourney people and like the diehard pinball people is make sure that, you know, you have all these things that can happen on the play field, but there's also depth to it as well. And again, that's why it's good. You know, I think, well, I, I think we have at least two physical ball locks on it or like, you know, you're piling up like three balls here and three balls there, which I also love because it's like, oh, look, there are my balls. I want them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Or you can steal balls. Yeah, um, you know, I think, it, you know, the, the story will be kind of probably like kind of like a journey. Uh, it's not I'm, it's not journey the pinball machine. Uh, yeah. So I, th- there's some there's some things like um, with Rick and Morty, the spooky game, you know, how each player is randomly assigned a different Morty from a different dimension, like cop Morty or hammer Morty or something like right. that. Yeah, I kind of I kind of want to do that as well. Um uh, not just because it's cute, but also, the, you know, if, again, if you have people that aren't as into pinball, it'll help them understand like, oh, I'm this is me. I'm this player. Right. Um, like you even had that. Well, it was Funhouse. Yeah. Funhouse. Rudy gives each player a nickname like Slick or Buzz or, yeah, or Bucko. Bucko. Or so, yeah. 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 Um, kind of something like that. And I like I liked how they did that with Rick and Morty, but they didn't have voice call outs to go with it. Like, uh, oh, Hammer Morty, you're up. Right. And, that would have been nice because it would have been like, oh, look, there's Hammer Morty, and he said Hammer Morty. I'm Hammer Morty. So I, I, I want to have that kind of reinforcement with the with the players as well. Um, yeah, and then – and also I, I want to make sure the theme integration is really is really good. Sometimes I think, you know, you just kind of have a static play field with things on it, and the theme is represented maybe a little bit too much with the screen. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, like – Stern's dress, the new Jurassic Park is really good where you've got, oh, look, that's where the Raptor pen is. There's a helicopter. There's a truck. There's a T-Rex. Like the physicality of the license is well represented on the play field. And that's what I'm really going for. Because the thing is, I, I think it's important first to make a play field that is really engaging and has cool stuff on it. But then once you have that, you can make the rules as deep as you want. So, you know, what, what, what did Nolan Bushnell say? Easy, easy to learn, hard to master. So I would say what I'll do is, yes, I'll, I'll make the rules deep once the game is in place. And that was something I kind of did with America's Most Haunted, and I want to continue that. So hopefully it works. Yeah, I, I think you're on the right track, especially anytime that you can hit a shot, but the shot can hold it or divert it a different way or keep flowing that adds a level of variety because there's only so many shots you can put on a pinball machine. So it's like anything you can do to make it feel different is a a huge bonus, you know? Right. Because the play field is ultimately fairly static. Right. So yes, that that's what we're going for. Like ways to basically diversify the path of the ball and have it be selectable in code. So, you know, Oh, maybe this shot leads here or maybe it leads there. And I'm, I'm kind of like, 
Well, there's one thing we we're adding just recently here, and it's kind of a ripoff from my uh, fabled Bible Adventures game. I was going to have this. <laughs> well, actually, I actually prototyped it. It was a scoop that could rotate 360 degrees. Oh, wow. So you'd shoot into it, but then if you like had three balls in the scoop, for multi-ball, it would actually like rotate. Pew, spit one out, move 60 degrees. Pew, spit one out, move 60 degrees. Pew. And then, so basically, it could eject the balls. So it could, it could eject like two balls in the back of the play field and then eject one ball towards you. So you had a little bit more time before all the balls came at the flippers. Yeah. How, how would that tie into the theme of that game? It, well, it was going to be, it was going to be, well, the gag I wanted was there was going to be three pops in the rear center of the play field, which is going to be like uh, Samson and Delilah, I think. Right below that was the scoop. And I wanted the scoop to be pointed straight down the middle. When people look at the game and they're like, look at this stupid scoop. It's pointing straight down the middle. And then they see it move and they're like, oh. That rascal Ben <laughs> That's really yeah. funny. So, on the, you know, bringing up uh, Bible adventures, uh, that's something you've been over, you know, how the, the idea got fleshed out and become like, oh, wow, this would actually kind of be an engaging yeah, game. Yeah, it started as a joke. And yeah. then thought about it but then apparently deep root is well i don't they know. are yeah fire and brimstone what, right. what do you think i mean do you think i mean we're already march i think the games are supposed to be shipping i mean are we going to see that by fall you think you think Roz's will be like made by fall it, it's not going to be in the spring that's for sure no i just hope i hope at least the raza people get their games do you, do you I, think we'll see food truck no one's going to buy a food truck. It would be. <sighs> you think they'll build it? You think they'll make food truck? <sighs> food truck is like a free iPhone app kind of game. And a pinball company is making expensive luxury items for rich people's basements. Right. It's. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how, how disparaging you, you, you guys get on stuff, but. I, I to, to be politically correct, I would be ex- extremely bullish on the proposition of pretty much all the uh, all of the titles suggested for Deep Root. Even though I want to personally want to make a <laughs> like a I I, I, I am I, I'll be honest. I'm curious to see if they make Fire and Brimstone. I don't think they'll get to it. Right. Uh, it, I will. I'll be interested to see how much they screw it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially. Uh... After all the time you spent planning it out in your head, and I, you know, I've had those games, and it would it would be hilarious, you know, when you go down the Old Testament kind of rabbit hole, and uh, I almost want the cabinet to look like the goofy blue cartridges they made, you know, for those. Uh, oh, you that, mean like wis- the Wisdom Tree? Yeah, otherwise. Wisdom Tree games. Yeah. Oh, see, I'm I'm not gonna make it goofy. I'm gonna make it like God of War meets 300 meets Cecil B. DeMille. Oh, like real fire? Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, but not fire and brimstone, because fire and brimstone has negative connotations. That's why it's a terrible name. It sounds like something like a Southern Baptist he will burn in the fire and brimstone, right? People don't want that. People want action and adventure, like Michael Bay. In sandals. That's what I was going to go in for. sandals. Yeah, yeah. I was like, have like, you know, Samson, he's got all the muscles. Like, you know, he was the original The Rock, right? And I was, I wanted to make a really badass Bible game. Do you think like, you could sell this to churches? Like, if <laughs> you could well, take it to like a. Churches would buy it. They'd be like, oh, look, someone cares about us. Let's buy it. And then, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't make, I would just make it like a straight, like, badass action God of War Bible game. And none of this. How, none how of, you've talked me into it. Uh, no, no, no faith. 
no God, no Jesus. It's only Old Testament, which makes it compatible with the Jewish religion as well. And it's all like, well, not uh, fire and brimstone, but you don't call it that, right? Right. You know? Right. Uh, yeah, I had, I had all sorts of rules figured out for that. I should, I should still make – I should hedge my bets that Deep Root won't make it and just make my own because I think it's one of those things like you'd have to see my vision to actually understand it. I think you're kind of – I'm starting, starting to get it again. Yeah, I'm starting to get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you just have it like, you know, you have like one – you have a one dumb, dumb shot as I call it. Make 10 shots, 10 plagues of Egypt, and then let my people go and you shake the cabinet and something <sighs> open like the Red Sea and then you shoot the balls through it. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. I mean, and here's the thing. Even with like movies and stuff, there's even if it's not like, you know, the Bible, like so much of that stuff is just the same old stories. You know, you see it in like movies like Matrix. Wally is basically Noah's Ark with a robot. And, you know, so a lot of that stuff is ingrained in people's sure. memory. So even if, you know, even if they're not religious, was as I said, the game is not meant to be religious. It's just like shit happened in an ancient times. Yeah, uh, yeah. People would still kind of understand it and be like, oh, this is this is cool. So it's not like Veggie Tales, none of that crap. Right. It's like, yeah, it's like God of War in the Bible. That's how I was going to do it. Sounds pretty epic. Um, yeah, think, yeah. This whole time I was like, did he start with the Wisdom Tree games and branch out? But now I get it. Like you're you're actually talking, you know, action packed Michael Bay. Mm-hmm. That's that's way better. Yeah. Oh, of course. Uh, I think it would be really cool. With with Deep Root, is there any chance, you know, that they end up? I mean, do, do you think he actually has Goonies? Is you think he he would get around to making that or? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like they're going to keep with this unlicensed thing. And, and how long can they stay afloat doing that? Yeah, wasn't Goonies the only license they talked but, about? Yeah, it was like a tagline. It's like, hey, you guys. Like, that well, was kind of... Yeah, being like 90% unlicensed, it's not going to work. I think he's probably got his head stuck in the 90s too much, as does J-pop. The thing is, you know, I know some people talk poo-poo about Pinside. But the thing is, you go on there and there's your market research. It's free. Oh, like yeah. Companies would spend big bucks for that kind of market research. And all I got to do is go on there and someone will say a topic. Hey, what's an idea for an original original theme? And then everyone starts typing out Blade Runner or Big Trouble in China. Dude, like, that's yeah. I, I, keep, I bring that one up. And people are like, I don't get it. And I'm like, both of those. I would buy both of those games. Yeah. You know? see, I, I, I don't care for Big Trouble in Little China, but oh, wow. I, I know it's weird. I, my, my love of John Carpenter stopped with the thing. But anyway, um, clearly there's demand for it. Okay. And I think back, I think back when Jack announced Wizard of Oz and people were like, what? You know, they really poo-pooed that license. And how many has he sold? What, that's oh, his best-selling man. game by Country Mile. Guns N' Roses will never sell as many as Wizard of Oz. You don't think no, he's licensed Wizard of Oz like three times. It's yeah. evergreen. It just yeah, yeah. keeps selling. Yeah, I'm just saying, you don't really know until you see it. But – People want licensed themes. They can say they don't all day long. I mean, but think about it. You've got like Pat Lawler managed to sell a 1500 games. That's probably the best case scenario. Yeah, and, and that was actually a good shooting game. I mean, it's like, I mean, outside of right. the sim part hole, like it's there's nothing wrong with dialed in outside. Well, of- dialed in is very cool. It's just, well, I've, as I've said on Pinside, they should have called it Disaster City. So someone walks up and says, oh, it's a rip off of Sim City pinball machine. Then right. people would understand it. That's the main reason to have a theme. It's a shortcut for people to understand the game. Like, you don't have to explain, oh, look, we're going to destroy the ring, you know, kill Gollum. 
Everyone understands that. But then Deep Root says, oh, here's a game called Machine Age. WTF is a machine age. Nobody knows what that is. and Nobody cares. Right. It, so real quick on John Carpenter, They Live. I had an I, I oh, okay about, okay I like okay I do like they live I forgot that he did that one so I had an idea for that machine like if I was going to make that machine and, and Brian Eddy actually ended up using it in Stranger Things with the UV ink on the playfield oh, I want to I want to use it in the plastics like to where obey and stuff like that would pop up you know when you get into a certain mode I'm not sure if it'd even be possible to like injection molded into the plastics but I thought that would be really cool you know like have a little billboard and stuff you know yeah. consume. Or you could do that with the projector. Like, the Stranger Thing projector is really cool. Um, that was, I mean, it's front projection is not really an innovation, but it was a really cool idea for pinball. Yeah, and the, the signs could change. The people could change, you oh, know. Oh, yeah. You could have, awesome. like, you know, what is it, Haunted Mansion, where they have, like, those blank face balls and they project <laughs> things onto yeah. them? Yeah. You could do that with They Live. You just have, like, oh, here's the face of a bank teller, and then, it switches the image and oh no, it's a gross alien. Man, it'd be so great. Can you imagine like the chew bubblegum multi ball? I mean, the, I mean, we could basically make the game right now. I'm surprised could... no one has ever mentioned that. They mentioned. I mean, I think they live as a much better film than Big Trouble Little China. They, personally. They, yeah, I think. Funny people don't mention that one more. Yeah, you don't hear that one. But the the thing about Big Trouble, you know, you, well, you got Kurt Russell instead of Roddy Piper, and right. then you know it. The thing about They Live is it, it has this kind of long, like, gap at the beginning of the movie that's really kind of slow going. But once it's going, it's it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, big Trouble, you get a little more stuff happening, I think, in the beginning. But, you know, they're both kind of slow to begin. Escape from New York could be cool, too, as a, as a theme. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think any of those 80s Carpenter movies. I'm surprised one of them hasn't been done. But the thing would be, I mean, the monsters and stuff would be really cool. Yeah, again, there's there's plenty of ideas out there, and I, I know we've kind of gone on deep root for a bit, but for all the money they've spent, like I think Stern Stern spent like a lot of money on Star Wars, but compared to what Deep Root spent, it wasn't that much. They could have easily gotten like a quadruple A license, like Star Wars. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, no problem. No, no one no one's gonna buy a food truck. I know it's just it's it's a meme on Pinside, and the thing is. Snakes on a Plane was a meme, and nobody went to see the movie. Memes don't sell. So, on the same topic with American Pinball, they've got Nordman now. They've got Zavia Ryan. She was an engineer for Bally Williams. Mm-hmm. But David Fix, there's there's still like, no, nah, we think you know uh, an original theme, you know, can work. It's just maybe it hasn't been done right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, what, what do you think is going to come out of there? Well. I- well, Dennis is really good. I mean, you know, yes. Elvira was Elvira is like my most favorite Stern in quite a long time. Well, it's probably because I'm a Mystery Science Theater fan. That's it's basically Mystery Science Theater, the pin with a cameo from Elvira. Yeah, I actually put a Mystery Science mod in the one I've got. Oh, awesome! Yeah, we actually, we actually explored that as spooky game number two back oh. in the day. Yeah. Well, I don't think I, we would have done a, as good of a job as Stern did with Elvira three. So whatever. Well, I mean, at least that's the way I look at that game is like that's as close as I'm going to get to anything like that. They did a really good job. So that's one game I've actually kind of bolted to the floor. Um, Yeah. I mean, kudos to Stern. That game is so niche and eccentric. (laughs) You know, they've got freaking Torgo on the back glass for crying out loud. Right. (laughs) You notice they even the attention to detail where they drew Torgo with the 
the hooven feet, which is yeah. what he was supposed to have in the movie, but they couldn't figure it out. So this gave him big knees. So yeah. like the fact that they drew Torgo as his original intention. I mean, yeah, I was surprised at how much I liked that game. Yeah, to be I, I don't think you'll see another game like that probably ever. I mean, it's like you said, it's so niche that it's 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 almost kind of ridiculous. They even did it to begin with. But yeah, it's, I, you like, know, it's El- like lucky El- that it exists. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. and now it's kind of caught this, you know, second wind and and they're, you know, charging more for it. Did it, did it sell well? Well, I think initially it did okay, but there was a few issues with the LEs, and and then as the game you know got out there, it was one of the like more expensive titles to begin with. I think more and more people played it, and they're like, "Wow, this is really fun," you know. And uh, even if they don't understand the movies, or maybe they never watched Mystery Science or Elvira or you know Joe Bob Briggs, they're they're like, "Oh, it's still you know it's goofy and it's fun," and and now they're like, "Oh, well, if you guys want them, we'll we'll raise the price five hundred bucks and make some more," you know. Oh, so uh, they're still they're still gonna make more. Yeah, there's more coming, I think, April and then July. I'm not sure after that. But, yeah, for a while there, people weren't sure if they could even get them. Uh, oh, well, I mean, it's good to see that kind of quirkiness get rewarded. Definitely, yeah. Um, and, I mean, in a way, you could say – I mean, I think what happens – you see this, like, with band-themed uh, pins. That's kind of a way to make an original theme, sort of. Uh, you know, the you know, it's it's like, oh, here's a theme. Oh, and there's a band attached. So they can have, you know, some more creativity with it. I think that's about the closest. Like, so yeah, if you're gonna make an original theme, make it like, oh, Elvira and Mystery Science. Well, I guess that's not an original theme, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or what well, TNA did pretty well, uh, but still. Yeah, that's. I feel like that's almost like a, a one-off. You know, I mean, it's possible somebody could ah, do it again. I, I bet they'd still sell a couple hundred more if they were to run it again. But well, yeah, because I mean, people have played it and it kind of has some, I guess, precedence now. But I think if you know, if maybe Scott made a different game that maybe wasn't single level that had some ramps and stuff that was an original theme, I'm not sure. I mean, there would it, probably it be wouldn't some... sell out in three hours like Rick and Morty. No, did. no, yeah, that's probably the best way to put and it. Something, something else to think about. This is the absolute worst time to release your original themes because nobody can go to shows and grow to love them like they did with TNA or Dialed In. That's yeah, and he he kind of was able to generate a, a slow burn with that game, you know, taking it to the shows. Yeah, it was about a year, but if it was a time of COVID, that wouldn't have happened. That's true. And yeah. With, Without people being out, I mean, the same thing happened with America's Most Haunted. Like, took it to shows and people started to like it more and more because they actually got to play it. So, like, I mean, yeah, you could take a box, fill it with dog turds, and call it <laughs> Predator, which I guess is pretty much what they did, and people would buy it. It's 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 like it's like success insurance, right? Having a license, and Just I think it's Predator. And if you are gonna have a license, you know, like with Raza, well. Raza, to me, it's obvious. He, John's just trying to impress the ghost of Python Angelo by remaking Cyclone. I mean, that's clearly what the game is. It even has a frickin' Dracula spook house on it. I mean, yeah. So I'm just saying, if you're going to make an original theme, it needs to be something that people can understand very easily so they can be drawn into it, like well, like TNA. You sh- if you have to make a comic book to explain your theme, your theme is too complicated, like dialed in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people need to walk up instantly, recognize what's happening, and then they're going to want to, you know, stick a quarter, a dollar in it, and 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 try it out. But on the yep. basis of theme, uh, the one thing that blows my mind that we haven't seen since like Gottlieb. This is a term you have coined, I think, in a, an old article. Video gamification. Why the hell can't we get video game theme pinball machines? 
Are you talking about like caveman or like someone making like a Let's, Castlevania pinball? Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. There's a great one. But you know, any type of Konami, Nintendo. I know Nintendo would be super expensive, but with where the prices are at, I mean, could you not do it at this point? Well, what's that? Gatlin has what well, they have much Super Mario Mushroom World and the Super Mario Brothers, right? Exactly. And yeah. they aren't great, but they gobble quarters because oh, yeah. it's Nintendo. Um, yeah, I think if you did like a Legend of Zelda pin, one thing, well, not just video games, I, I keep mentioning this. It's, pr- it's probably too expensive for Spooky's blood, but I think if you made like a early 90s Disney, like if you made like Lion King pinball, I think people would just vomit money at you for that. Wow, that's something I hadn't even thought of. Yeah, that 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 age demographic is, is in prime buying at this point. Yeah, right. So. The Lion King or, well, Jurassic Park as well. And look how well that did. That's like... That's like millennial Star Wars. You know, that's like their Star Wars. And that's why, and lo and behold, the Stern Jurassic Park does really, really well because the people pumping in quarters at the bars are 30 years old and that's their, that's their, that's their jaws. That's their Star Wars. So, I mean, Led Zeppelin couldn't have been cheap. That license had to be super expensive. Beatles, uh, we know, were super expensive. I mean, oh yeah, Beatles but, was like hyper expensive. I mean, even if you wanted to charge, you know, 10 grand for the machine, I'd Legend of Zelda, you know, there's a lot of people that, yes, that buy Zelda games and accessories that can't afford a pinball machine. But I know video game collectors, if you said Legend of Zelda is coming tomorrow, it's it's going to be a great machine. There's tons of mechs and cool shit in it. They would plunk down $10,000. And there's enough of them, you know, that, that would buy that machine. Yeah. I mean, what, what's stopping anyone from doing it? Working with Nintendo, the Disney of the video game world. Are, are they that prohibitive? I They're mean, pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. Thing is, it it would probably be worth it. I would think so at this point. I mean, it'd be different if we were still charging, you know, thirty five hundred bucks for a machine. But I mean, these machines are seven, eight, nine, ten thousand dollars, and for a you know a triple A license like that, full of mechs. I would say like with Beatles, right? Which I think they paid a cool million bucks to get. Yep. Um. See, I wouldn't have done that because to me, I think the main Beatles demographic is too old. You know. I agree. I always think whenever I hear of a license, I think, okay, who do I know that likes that license? And would they buy a pin? And my mom is not going to buy a pin because she's like a retired lady who's like almost 70. So obviously the Beatles are awesome. However, yeah, I think I think it's just a little too old. It's just like when you have like all these Disney live action remakes, you know? Yeah. And Lion King makes a zillion dollars, but they make Dumbo and nobody cares because – also, it's too old. It's too yeah. Yeah, you have to make you have to make something. Well, there's I think nostalgia it has like about it has like a 20 year cycle, right? When you're 30, you want stuff you had when you were 10, and when you're 50, you want stuff you had when you were like 20 to 30. Because like a 30 year old millennial with a bunch of student debt, they're wistful for when they were 10 and didn't have a care in the world. And a 50 year old guy in his fourth divorce is wistful <laughs> for when he was in the bar you know, drinking beer, smoking cigarettes and picking up ladies and playing pinball. Right. So you get to a point like, you know, if you're talking about like, oh, I'm I'm wistful for 1965 and the Beatles, it's it's just too far back. You know, like I think you, you either want to go for what people liked when they were you look at your prime demographic, like with pinball, at least for buying it, you know, it'd be like probably like 40 to 60. You know, that's yeah. a little too young. That's a little too young for Beatles, like especially like the Beatles artwork was like kind of i actually showed it to my mom who's like the biggest yeah. Beatles fan in the world and she's like oh this looks really cool even though i know a lot of pinball people didn't like it because you know it 
it's like, oh, you know, to a 14 year old girl, that would be really cool. But she's not the right nostalgia target for that demographic or, you know, quite honestly, the people that have the money to buy something like that. So that's why I think it's important to think, okay, who's your target audience and what did they like 20 or 40 years ago? But something like Beatles is a little too far back, I think. And clearly it was because they're still sitting on them. So, I mean, we're, we're both talking about 80s video games, 80s. Oh, well, we see with the success with Guns N' Roses that, you know, that was a yep. late 80s band. Uh, Ghostbusters did extremely well. I mean, at oh, what God. point do we start shifting gears and, and, you know, it's like, okay, we've got a couple more of these classic rock acts we could probably crap out. But, you know, when, when do we get to the meat and potatoes of, of like the untapped gold, you know? Well, I, I'm just, I think that, that gold is in the 90s. I mean... The 90s, 90s is the new 80s, for lack of a, a better term. And yeah, I think, you know, one pin, I think it would be kind of risky, but it could be a success. I think if someone made a Pee Wee's Playhouse pin, I yeah. think that could be more successful than people might think. Yeah, uh, I think. I mean, I wouldn't buy it. But <laughs> yeah, but I, I was, my nostalgia for him, I was so small that it didn't really translate like into like my teenage years, you know, like yeah. I still, you know, I grew, I, I was really small. My mom was like, Oh, I could plunk you down in front of Pee Wee and you would just like zonk out watching. Uh, how, how old are you? I'm 35. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. See, cause Pee Wee's when it was on, it was very subversive. It was kind of like Sesame street used to be where adults would enjoy it too. Right. And it was like, it was like a huge stoner show when it was on <laughs> for instance. And so, yeah, I mean, I would, I would probably like 14 when it came out. I would watch it. I had younger siblings. Yeah, I would watch it, and I thought it was kind of goofy, but, but I think that's kind of the thing. And you see that with like, like they make a new Power Rangers movie, right? And Power Rangers is something like a millennial is probably embarrassed that they liked, you know? Right. But then you have like a new Jurassic Park movie, and Jurassic Park was like, ooh, I'm watching this super violent movie that's not actually violent at all, and I'm seven years old. You know, it's like it's like a cool thing. It's like when people my age would watch like R-rated movies with Bruce Willis, it's like, ooh, it's got a violent movie. This is cool, you know. It's <laughs> it's like it's a, it's a, it's a lot cooler than like gummy bears because it's like yeah. it's an adult thing we liked before we should have liked it. I would say the '90s, like I think if someone were to do something like yeah, early '90s, like uh, Lion King or Aladdin, Pinball, um, it, yeah, if they did like Zelda, like Zelda, I think well, I think Zelda would be better because it's more of like an adventure to go on than like yeah. Mario. What about Metroid? Uh, I think that's a little too. I would do. I would do Zelda. Okay. If you're gonna, if you're gonna deal with Nintendo, you might as well get like the best the, stuff. That's that's a good point. Now, yeah. what if you ventured out? Like, if you could pick any game, and uh, you know, you you're not worried about sales, you got unlimited budget. What you know, what game would you do? You mean like what, a video game? Yeah, being turned has into to be. Pinball? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's easy. I've thought about this a lot. I'd make Rampage. It's a game where buildings fall down, and you just call it Rampage, so you don't have to explain it. You don't put yeah. the rock in it. You don't. You, <laughs> no, you just you just want the name Rampage and monsters. Yeah. I know I it probably it probably it wouldn't sell as well as Zelda, but I think it would really translate well to pinball because you think about you're standing there in front of the game and you are the monster, right? You're looking down at this miniature city, so the scale of a human playing the game actually gives you the power fantasy. And then you smash buildings. Yeah, and cool. like, yeah, player one could be the ape, and then like player two yeah. could be, yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right, so that's not, so yes, if it was like, what video game? It's like, Ben, pick a video game that would guarantee pinball sales. Yeah, I'd probably say Zelda. But okay. what I would want to do, given the choice, since I haven't played a Zelda game since 1989, I would do Rampage. 
Yeah. Well, the building idea with them crumbling down like the Earthshaker building. Yeah. Know, like the pro that that would be that would be it's, sick. It, you put you put an LCD in each one, so you oh, can change man. what the windows look like, and you can have the people running around behind the glass, and yeah. then you can change the sign at the top of the building. So you get to like, oh look, we're in Peoria. Okay, let's spawn the buildings. It's Evil Bank, IRS, and DMV. Right? <laughs> we smash the town. We go to another another town. Let's spawn the buildings. But now they're different heights. The windows look different. We color the playfield differently. Now we're in West Des Moines, and now we've got you know IRS, uh, you know just things that people don't like. I don't. I think I would love to make a rampage game. <laughs> Yeah, maybe we should just maybe you could do it, and then if if it had enough heat, Charlie might make that one at some point. Yeah, I pitched it to him, and he's like, "Oh, Warner Brothers." Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, they own it now. Uh, That's, yeah. So, um, do you have any pinball machines? I know at one point you had Attack from Mars, and you and you sold it. But I, yeah, I actually sold all my games when I moved, and I right. I have I have a beat up barn find swords of fury in my basement but it's in pieces and that's it right now so if if you had like unlimited space and i said here's the money for five games what five games would you like play? oh i would i would definitely get the new avira i think that's really cool oh uh, let's see i got i got tired of attack from mars that was like my favorite for the longest time i had a really nice one but i got out from under it once i knew the remake was coming you know like insider oh trading. yeah <laughs> oh gosh what would i get uh, I really liked my space shuttle. I don't know why I sold that. It's not like I needed the money. I just didn't want to move it. Yeah. I'm, I'm a I'm a terrible pinball person. No, um, I, I thin the herd because I, I know a move is imminent. So I'm like, <laughs> you know. I, I don't I've even have a, my own game. Uh, Charlie offered me one, and I was so sick of it, I didn't want it. Well, it's <laughs> funny. You're you're not the only designer that's that's ever told me that. Like, Nordman's like, I, I can't stand to look at it anymore. <laughs> you know, once he gets done with one, he's like, God, I can't even look at this thing anymore. Yeah, uh, that's that's kind of how I felt. Although now I, I kind of wish I had one because I know some people some people found my GitHub of the code and now they're putting up like pull requests to fix parts of the code. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, you know, maybe someday, maybe like a, in a two or three years, if I'm absolutely completely bored, I'm, <laughs> right. it's like Wheel of Fortune, maybe it'll get finished eventually, you know? Oh gosh, I'm trying to think what else I would, what else I really like. Um, I really like, um, I really like the new, the new Monster Bash from CGC. It's so beautiful. Oh yeah. And of course, it's a really cool game. Like it's just like you have to see it in person. Like because they they still do screen printing uh, for the playfields. It really pops. Oh yeah. That's yeah, my exciting. buddy has a LE with the topper and everything. It's it's a beautiful game. And then if I was looking for like a slummy game, I think it'd be cool to have like a Waterworld or a Stargate. <laughs> yeah, I like Stargate. Yeah, yeah it's Stargate. probably my favorite Gottlieb. There's this um there's this bar up north where where me and my friends and family go on fishing trips. It's northeast of Eau Claire. Uh, where where are you at? You're like east coast. I'm in North Carolina. Yeah. Oh okay. Um you know so it's a ways up north. There's this, there's this old ratty bar. It survived COVID thankfully. It's called the. Uh, Birch Lake Saloon. I actually have a, a coaster from it on my desk. I stole <laughs> decades ago. Anyway, they've had this sad Stargate sitting in there for at least nine years now. And I don't even think it works anymore. And it's like, oh, this poor game. And it's, yeah, like it's been there for nine years. It's like, oh my. Ugh. There's a guy near my old shop, not too far from here. He had an old stern checkpoint sitting on his front porch in the snow. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, I know a bar owner that has um, – it, it was actually the machines I would play growing up sometimes. He had a Tommy, Party Zone, oh gosh, uh, Shadow, 
and uh, a GoldenEye and Apollo 13. All mm-hmm. with it. He had like this little side room that had some games in it. And one day, like when they, they all started breaking, of course, you know, over time, he just shoved them in the back and like they're rotting back there because it's not the buildings like old as hell and it's you know moisture uh, and he just won't sell them like I'll approach him every every yeah, couple years. What is with why why did they do that? I never understand that. Yeah, it's the old car syndrome guy. Like you know you see a Mustang rotting beside a guy's house, you're like, hey man, would you want to sell that Mustang? Yeah. Now? Like oh, they would I'm, they would rather see the machine just like rotten to the ground than someone else have it. You it know? must be it must be kind of like hoarder compulsion it, in a way it is yeah i feel like it is because I, I used to do some car restorations and i would run into that all the time yeah my one of my uncles was like that he had this uh old like 56 studebagger sitting in a field and people would constantly ask to buy it and he just let it sit there it's like dude it's just sitting there like again yeah. i guess my brain's not wired that way you know i would i would be like give me the money it's gone yeah it's kind of sad I guess, but to a lot of operators, you know, the pinball machines don't mean any more to them than, you know, a, a, a condom machine. You know, it's just a way to make money. It's and then true. When it's yeah. done, it's it's just garbage. Yeah, uh, I'll fix it or do something with it. I don't care. It's already made made the money back. But do you think at this point anybody could pull the what Sega did on Nintendo in the '90s, like gain like almost half of the market share, or is it is Stern just so far ahead manufacturing wise? It's just never gonna happen. Well, Stern is pretty far ahead. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, it it seems kind of unlikely. I mean, Stern is probably like what 85% of the market. I don't think they're as high as people think they are. Like CG CGC makes a lot of games. Uh, Spooky actually makes a lot too. So does Jack, but but still, yes, it Stern still does have the lion's share. Like it's like you know a Microsoft versus Apple computer kind of lopsided ratio. True. I mean, not unless you could make something that was just as good but cheaper. But I I honestly don't know how possible that is. Yeah. You know, even if you have like price gouging for LEs, you know, like just for base models, like you know, inflation's a thing. Everything continually goes up in price. You know. The price isn't. You can't make the price static. It's it's a lot harder to do that. You can beat the stern the pro price at this point. I just I don't think anybody's no, able to do it. Really, you really can't. And even though it's higher than it used to be, it's still yeah. lower than everybody else. I mean, that was the ironic thing. Like Jack, jacking up the price for Wizard of Oz. It was funny because he he made Wizard of Oz because he was worried about Stern going out of business, which they did for a few weeks. But then, ironically, he jacked up the value of pinball, which kind of helped Stern. (laughs) Stern has benefited far more from Jack busting the 6K price tag than Jack ever did. That's a good point. It's like, oh, look how much people will pay for this stuff. You see it with Apple, too. They're like, hmm, how much will people pay for a phone? Let's try to find the ceiling. And I think they kind of found it, but it took them a while to get there. Do you think we'll ever find the topper ceiling? <laughs> the Elvira oh, topper is like a thousand bucks. Honestly, it's one of those things where I see. I talked to Charlie about this. I'm like, Charlie, you do know most of your customers are rich, right? <laughs> He's like, what? <laughs> it's like the average person is not spending six thousand dollars three times a year on a toy. Oh, three it's, times it's, a year. Jeez. It's. I know it's ridiculous. I I, I don't have that much money. Or. Well, I wouldn't spend it on pinball. (laughs) I would just put it in the stock market. Well, that's what I do, actually. But, um, but yeah, so it's like maybe there isn't a ceiling, but I mean, you know, I, oh, here's Zelda. It's $10,000 and 
people would fall over all over themselves because uh, you know statistic what is it like 50 40 or 50 percent of americans can't even cover a 500 emergency yeah. Yeah. which is why we have check cashing places so people that routinely buy eight thousand dollar machines could just as easily buy ten thousand dollar machines they you know i think there's a part where you boil the frog but even then yeah like 12 5 appears appears to be acceptable now for like collector's editions do you so. think being that a lot of people that can buy the machines it doesn't matter if it's seven or twelve but do you think there is a part of the hobby that like the growth is just like unsustainable that we're, we're going to end up losing a, a large portion of people or maybe a small portion of people just because the the way the prices are going yeah i mean the same thing is already kind of happening with automobiles then will be even worse if everything becomes electric where you have an ever-growing list of people at the bottom who get priced out of it. However, I do think there probably will be a correction with pinball. Like once the main pinball demographic moves to Florida to die, <laughs> uh, you know, they're going to have to unload their collections, which I would think would probably, you know, well, oh, it, it's weird. Like pinballs. We got a while. Up. Yeah, like it was it was recession proof because all the buyers are rich. It was yeah. COVID because all the buyers are rich and stuck at home. You know, everyone likes to talk about how the millennials are broke and stuff, and they might not be as well off as Gen X, but of course they're younger than Gen X. So, you know, if I think it, it'd be cool to make themes that they like, you know, Pokemon, Power Rangers, you know, I think it's time to get a little younger with the themes. Uh, you know, my goal at one point was to maybe put like five grand a year into it just to, you know, maybe get one new machine a year. But, you know, last year, first of this year, when when we hit you know, the $1,000 increase on uh, GNR and put it up over 10 for the mid-tier model. I was like, uh, I'm starting to get priced out here. <laughs> you know, that's... Um, GNR that, that's really cool, though. I mean, they did a really good job on that. Oh, yeah, dude, it's amazing. And, well, and except actually, for the skill shot, that's kind of lame. That Well, you're 100% right on that. <laughs> yeah, cool. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. It's just like, oof, you know, right into the... Uh, it, it's kind of anticlimactic. Yeah, but... sometimes the ball gets stuck under the flap. So I had one paid for, uh, like first run, and a, a buddy of mine got got one super early, and the disc had some issue. But the thing that like really, I was like, oh shit, his scoop was chipping, and I mean this is within like not many plays, and I was like, there's no way in hell I'm paying you know nine and a half, you know thousand nine thousand five hundred to to for a game that the play field is just going to like eat up on and then there's not going to be any resale value to it because that's one thing about this market for, for i really don't give a shit about the cabinet like if a game's got some bumps or bruises like i don't play the cabinet you know uh and really the play field can have some issues but the vast majority of people that buy these machines they go over it with like a fine tooth comb and like will nitpick you on anything even if you show it in the pictures yeah it's you know. like selling someone a really expensive watch it better be good yeah, exactly yeah and you know with like i've got a whirlwind for sale now and it seems to be no shortage of interest at 3800 bucks for a above average player's whirlwind you know that that's pretty insane was that pre-diamond coat yeah, yeah, this isn't a diamond play field. It's, you know, just well, a... Well, if it's in good shape, that's probably, you know, a big part of it. It's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I've it's it's one of the better players uh, I've seen, but it's it's definitely not like a restoration. I know uh, one that was fully restored recently that sold over 10. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so if that gives you any perspective of where, where it's at. Well, I mean, uh, it's like a double-edged sword. Like, you know, pinball fans might complain about the prices, but the prices show that the market is healthy. 
So as far as that's concerned for like making, making sure pinball sticks around um, the fact that they're able to charge that is a good sign for the long-term health at least. Well, you know, I think it's been, I'm surprised the bottom didn't fall out of pinball five years ago, to be honest. So So seeing that it's survived uh, some fluctuations here, what do you, what do you think it's got another 15 years? Yeah, maybe 15 unless we can get like the younger people into it. If we can convince them as a cool toy. Yeah, that's that's going to be a tough bridge to to cross there to gap because well that's know. why I want to make something mechanically uh, satisfying at least for my game so yeah like, and if you get to make rampage people will probably crap their pants because <laughs> you, you you put the phone screen in the game and instead of just being like a cell phone sitting there like dialed in like oh, building no. crumbles and everything <laughs> oh yeah you mean it's, yeah you make it yeah okay yes you don't literally put a phone in the game. You've made you it an interactive that technology to yes to sell the theme yeah yeah that that that's a lot better yeah, uh, yeah it's you know it's just like oh what do the young kids like they like phones I want them to like pinball I'll put a phone in a pinball <laughs> not how it works you forget though you can control that game with your phone I, I think Zelda is a really cool game the theme is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> excuse yeah. me um so. What do you think about, you know, as far as CGC's timeline, where the remake's coming up next, and then is it Nordman's game? And and then you're, like, next year? No, or, I, no, no I think Nordman would probably be after me, because he's a pretty recent addition. Oh, okay. No, wait, no, Nordman is at AP. Yeah, he's at AP, yeah. But he had a design over at Chicago. Oh, I didn't know that. Huh. That's news uh, to me. <laughs> you're, I you're thought pro- Mark Ritchie was working on something with them. Well, yeah, that I think uh, Chris had said something about that, but I, you know, I don't know anything about it. I haven't seen anything, so maybe, maybe he does have a game over there. He's been awfully silent, but he's kind of always been in and out of the industry. Yeah, uh, I, I'm not sure. I, I hope, I hope AP can treat uh, Dennis right, so he doesn't have to bounce around as much. For sure. Yeah. Do you think we might see your game next year? I hope we do. <laughs> how long do you think yeah. it'll take to code it for you i mean since the layout's kind of done they just got to get it all in cad and all the mechanics down well, i wouldn't say the layout's done but it's, it's getting there oh once i get a prototype see my original back when i was at spooky my original plan was to have the white wood have have the white wood like in in one like june or whatever and then program it for a year but I don't I don't know if I'd have a year to program this one. Right. I'm not sure because programming is a pinball machine is actually pretty difficult because you have a closed system of the code, but then you have this random open system of the ball moving around a bunch of metal and wood. Right. So it's well, like I joked, I, I used to joke to Charlie. I'm like, Charlie, I'll program the game for free, but I'll charge you to to debug it. <laughs> That's where the real hell comes in. I can only imagine. Is your reasoning to to program this next machine just because people like that so much about America's Most Haunted or? Yeah, that that was one of the big things that people liked about that game was the code. So that was why they're like, well, if Ben will program this, uh, let's let him do it because people like his code. Uh, Charlie wanted me to program um, Rob Zombie as well, but I was so burnt out. Dude, I can't. <laughs> it's like you know you you weren't here because you know I, I was in Madison, but I'm like how many nights and weekends I spent with a long list of bugs and whiteboards and oh. <laughs> so 
So let, let's take one bug. Like, how long would it take to track that piece of code down and fix it? I mean, well, there's a bug in America's Most Haunted I've never been able to fix. Um, oh, shit. It's like, yeah, it's like on the right hand ramp. Um, it's something like uh, it lights up one, two, three, four hotel for the hotel ghost. There's a bug where the progression of those lights disappears. I've never been able to find it. That bug has been there pretty much since the start. How I've often never... does it occur? Um, oh, this has been a while. I don't know. Maybe like once every 10 games. It doesn't, it doesn't affect gameplay. It's right. basically like an insert light bug, but I've never been able to find it. it. Cause usually a bug is something stupid. Like you and it when you should have ORed, or you declared a variable to the wrong integer size. Right. You know, like, those are the kind of bugs I like to find because like, oh, look, I did something stupid and that's why there's a bug. Because when you have a stupid bug, like I made a stupid mistake as a programmer or an honest mistake, then you're like, OK, well, I tried all these things to try to fix the bug. And the reason I couldn't fix the bug is because I didn't consider that I might have done something really stupid, like not enable a peripheral register. Those are the good ones to find. But then you're like, well, I wasted two hours because I'm stupid, but at least I found the bug. It's the bugs where... There isn't a stupid explanation. Right. Those are the hard ones, <clears throat> at least for me. How do those exist? I mean, how do they, if you didn't really make a, you know, a noticeable mistake, is it just all the different lines of code running? It's like probably, just... well, again, I said I never fixed that one particular bug. <laughs> and there's some other bugs, too, on the GitHub. Again, I, since I never, never found the bug, I can't tell you how it exists. I, my only okay. guess is that it probably is some sort of combination of, like, mode stacking at different light shows because that's the other thing about pinball it's really easy to pro it's actually it's really easy to program mode stacking the hard part is separating the stacking so it's like you make everything stack and then you actually have to layer it wow that's probably where the bug came from but again it's so labyrinthian and of course i was like i haven't touched that code in like five or six years so i if i were to make changes i i don't even know if that's on the github list that people made of course i haven't read it <laughs> um, maybe we'll see i know i know charlie does want me to update the code so america's most haunted could run using the same boards as rob zombie and dominoes and jetsons maybe i'll do that again once everything else is done yeah so the the new board set wouldn't assist you in any way it's just strictly a code thing yes it's it's yeah. something the logic of the code gotcha so back to movies real quick you did bill paxton pinball Yep. Would you ever consider retheming Championship Pub into Over the Top? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gee, I've never. That's 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 an interesting one. Or just make a fresh Over the Top. You know, no movie or, can. Or like, or like Rocky. I mean, you know, that's also. Wait, Over the Top was about was about arm wrestling, right? Yes, a child custody battle combined with arm wrestling. I I have never seen it. That You've was never the, seen it. No, that was Stallone, right? Yeah, Stallone. That's the kind of movie that Clint Eastwood would have made. Yeah, yeah, everything. With an orangutan. Yeah, with an orangutan, every which way. But that's a good, there's a machine, yeah. Oh, man. I'm going to send you a copy of Over the Top. Maybe I'll give one away as a prize for Isn't this. Isn't it like uh, a really cheesy movie? Oh, yeah. It's it's hilarious, though. Yeah. A guy drinks motor oil before a match at one point. Oh, my. So is it kind of like Roadhouse? Um. A, well, a little bit, but it's, um, yeah, like Stallone's entering a competition and, you know, he's got this custody thing going on with his kid and the father-in-law is like super rich and he's just a working guy, you know, and he's got a, yeah, 
he's got a piece of crap truck. And the whole reason for him winning this competition is to get a new, uh, oh, he's a, he's a truck driver too, by the way. So that, that adds to the, <laughs> Hey, trucks yeah. are expensive. Semi-truck. Exactly. Yeah. So over uh, the top, huh? All uh, right. Yeah. You've got to watch you know, it. We, we used to do like bad movie nights before COVID. So maybe I could put that on the list. Oh, I got a bunch for you, Ben. Yeah, even some some horror movies. Uh, I bet Charlie knows uh, some of the ones I'd recommend, but we'll I'll throw that in at the end. Okay. Uh, why? Before you've mentioned, you said you hate the Midwest. No judgment from me. I'm from the South, so the we Midwest? hate it as well. Well, I hate the weather. Yeah. Is that number one? Um, I hate Illinois. Maybe that's what you said. Yeah, maybe that was it. Oh, everyone, everyone in the Midwest hates Illinois, including people in Illinois. <laughs> what's the reason for this for illinois yeah uh it's a big flat empty state the taxes are even worse than wisconsin if such a thing can be envisioned it's kind of dirty it's always under construction i don't know it's just everyone in the midwest hates illinois it's just i don't know i, I think it's because of the bears you know like 40 years ago when like you know the oh. bears were on top and the packers absolutely sucked right. like back in the 80s can we put a flipper code in the next game about the hate for Illinois? It'll come up like we hate Illinois <laughs> in the flipper code, you know? I was uh, talking to a friend of mine, and they'd actually moved to Iowa from Los Angeles. And I was I was brought up Illinois to them, and then I brought up the term fib. And they're like, what? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what we, everyone calls the like, effing Illinois bitches. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Yeah, that's a term we have here. Is it really? I mean, it's there's nothing against the people of Illinois. It's just that we just hate Illinois. Just hate the place. Yeah. I I maybe it's because it's the large American city I have to drive through the most. Like I hate going to Chicago. Yeah. I've been a but few of course, times. Yeah. If I had to commute from like Queens to Newark every day, I would probably hate New York. So Absolutely. Yeah. Uh yeah. Um I was gonna say one more thing about that. I forgot what it was. Uh oh yeah. So I mentioned fishing. So what I what I always tell everyone, like every weekend, all of Illinois invades Wisconsin and goes to Wisconsin Dells, which is like this tourist trap town. It's about 30 miles north of here in Madison, where I live. So my joke is, since all the Illinois people invade Wisconsin on the weekends, that's why we all want to go way up north to get away from the Illinois people when they come in. That's hilarious. You'll, you'll go you'll go past this town, Wisconsin Dells, on like like a Sunday afternoon and the interstate will be a parking lot of cars with Illinois license plate heading back. <laughs> it's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> it's I, funny that, you know, Chicago's like, oh, if you go anywhere, you got to self-quarantine when you come back. And I'm sure everyone was like, F that. And they still went up to the Dells. Yeah, we in North Carolina, there's a town called Boone and it's a big ski destination. And uh, I worked there for a couple in, in Boone, lived there for a year. And I noticed I was like, what's with all the Florida license plates? And they're like, oh, Florida owns Boone. They, this, that's where all their... <laughs> That's where all their summer homes are. They, they, they own everything. And, you know, like the locals yep. are like some type of like service class. That's, for, you know. that's exactly that's exactly what it's like. Um, I thought that like um, like I, I took a trip to New Zealand a while back. And and, and when people want when I talk about it, I'm like, well, for one thing, New Zealand is like China's Wisconsin Dells. And they're like, <laughs> oh, they instantly get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they uh, and they have their own term for because a, a lot of the elderly Florid, Floridians that come to Boone, you know, that they're all over the roads and running people <laughs> off the roads, and and they all try to leave like right at the first chance of snow. They see snow and they're like all piling up to try to leave. <laughs> <Boone. laughs> 
Because oh, it's in the mountains. They're selling the snow at a ski resort and they get scared, huh? Yeah, their summer homes are there, so they go back to Florida as soon as the winter comes. And uh, then you'll have some come up for the skiing randomly. And, but, yeah, the, the the town people are like, okay, everybody stay inside. Snow's coming. They're, they're going to be wrecking into everything. And, uh, you know, they, they call them flirt idiots. That, that, was their, <laughs> that was their term for, for, for bad It reminds drugs. me of that, that South Park episode where all the old people go to a town meeting. And it's like, old people are all driving. And the old people, like, start, like, smashing through the houses and stuff. And. Same kind of joke. Yeah, I love that episode. I think it was the one where they, they couldn't get up early enough to beat him to, like, the, uh, the Shawnees or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, and this is how the old people are crashing into, like, the second floors of houses. It was <laughs> so ridiculous. Uh, yeah. So you once had said that um, not a lot got you excited. I guess or you're, you don't get excited very much. After living through a pandemic, would something now make you excited? <laughs> Well, I'd be excited to go to a convention again. Oh, I actually wow. have dreams about going to conventions because I used to go to a lot of conventions. Yeah, I thought you were kind of burnt out with them at one point. Um, well, I was burnt out when them, when I was doing my show. They were sending me wow. to tons of conventions, right. like five or six a year. I was a bit burnt out with that. But, you know, still, you know, on my own, I still there's ones I like to go to, you know, like the Vintage Computer Fest, Maker Fairs, Midwest Gaming Classic, of course, and yeah, I kind of miss hanging out with Joel Balser and drinking beers and complaining about Oktoberfest. And, yeah. <laughs> Was that your complaining to Joe or Joe complaining to you? Uh, kind of back and forth. Back and I, forth. I won't repeat what he said, but I'm like, dude, the art on this sucks. He's like, like, I know. I, yeah, I know, Ben, yeah. yeah. I, was like, no, I know you guys hate John, but, you know, he would have been a good art director at least. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. He knows how to make a game look good. That's- well, anything else, Ben? I mean, uh, well, I think we've covered a, a quite large breadth of, of uh, things. I'm trying to think. Well, uh, yeah, so I guess, um, yeah, so you'll see, you know, hopefully my new circuit boards and the next batch of spooky games. So that's, yeah, we're actually, we're just uh, fit, doing the final stuff there. They actually sent me a test video this morning. So, and hopefully the spooky games are brighter because they've been kind of dim in the past. Yeah, that's one thing I remember with Rob Zombie. When we had one on location, and, mm-hmm. and it was a little dark. Do you think that we'll, – you said you, we might see another spooky game, what, June, July? Um, or is that I, just when the boards will be? I just know that's when we need to get the boards to them. But I would assume they'd probably announce at the same time. Um, the artwork's pretty cool. I've I've, I've seen it in uh, well, the pencil form, so I think it's going to be pretty neat-looking game. Uh, yeah, so then as far as my game, I guess we'll see. Um, I usually have enough to keep me busy, so it's not like I'm chomping at the bits sure. to get my game done. But there's a point where it's like, uh, can you give me a Whitewood so I can start programming this? So <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure you're going to want that probably in the next couple months, just to kind of give you some breathing room on it. But Yeah, especially uh, since it's, you know, it's a new system I'm not used to. Now is, so they're not going to use your board set at CGC? No, I pitched it to them, but they're pretty happy with what they have. Gotcha. But I, I did pitch it to him. But hey, if anyone else wants to use it, hit me up. It's super cheap. <laughs> Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> super cheap. Well, yeah. I have the whole board, but you'll only need the edge. <laughs> Does it have like some add-on modules I could buy if I was going to make my own game or like a P3 or is it? No, it's, it's all in one. It's one board and it does... Uh, 64 dedicated switches, 16 optos, 24 MOSFETs, uh, I think up to like 380 serial RGB lights, 16 banks of GI. It can drive up to six servos, 
It has drop-in stepper motor support, DC motor support, and it all works off a single microcontroller, and then you just hook it up to a host computer, like an upboard or single board computer that runs your, you know, MPF or whatever. That's we're trying to make it compatible with MPF. The idea is you basically buy the one board and that's it. You don't need any modules or anything. That's cool. So you just wire everything direct. Yeah. Like yeah. The, oh wow, that's awesome. It, it's oh. it's it's a lot like the circuit board that we had on America's Most Haunted and Rob Zombie. It's just more advanced. It right. uses an ARM processor. It actually has less RAM than that system did, but of course the game code doesn't reside on it. So. Oh, and it has a current sensing, so it can actually uh, monitor the current of the MOSFETs and detect if a MOSFET has gone bad. Wow, so you don't burn it up. Yep, and and there's a relay too. So if there is an overvoltage, it can actually shut down the uh, MOSFETs before anything anything burns up. And then if one does burn up, it can do a self-test and tell you which one is bad. No kidding. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Same thing with the servos. It has it has current sensing on the servos, so if a servo strains itself, it can actually shut down the system. Well, not shut down the system, but it'll shut off the servo and give you an error message, so the servo doesn't strain itself and cause damage. That's really cool. So in the in the situation that I did nuke the board, being that it doesn't have like a bunch of like node boards and like dummy boards attached to those, would the cost be like cheap enough to where? It would be comparable to like like one node it, board replacement. It, it costs less than what Stern co- charges for a node board replacement. Wow, that's the awesome. The whole thing. The whole thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, give a. Also, good luck frying it because we put it through a lot of paces. Like probably the worst thing that would happen is you might have to replace a MOSFET. Like if there's like a dead short, like if you drop a screwdriver across a coil. Yeah. Um, we can't we can't react fast enough for that, but in all those situations, <laughs> we can react fast enough to turn off. Yeah, there's actually a relay that goes click, and it can uh, kill all the high voltage power instantly if an overcurrent is detected. That was going to be my question. Kind of like a saw stop, you know, with a table yeah. saw. Yeah, that was my question was like, are you monitoring mainly, mainly the higher voltage elements and, and the relays? In a, is the relay integrated to the board? Is it like chipped or it's, replaceable? It, it's built into the board, yeah. Uh, the relay is ridiculously highly spec so you shouldn't be able to destroy it right I, actually I, I don't know how you would possibly destroy it it's it's 100 it's rated for hundreds of volts uh yeah so if there is if there is an overcurrent detected on the well so basically what you do is you profile the coils and you go like bum, 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 you hit all the coils and then you get a current reading for each one it's you know it's, it's a lot, you know if you do a flipper like flipper can be like eight amps for a very a few milliseconds it's actually quite high and so if it if, if it detects if it detects current being drawn when something's not activated or if the current that a coil does take is too far out of tolerance then it can generate errors and also do an automatic shutdown okay so uh, I'd never actually put like an amp clamp on a on a coal or something to see how much current you know draw or like what the peak spike was when when a, a coal was engaged. So is is eight amps pretty high for a pinball machine? Is that? Yeah, if you if you have like the high the high winding of a coil at 48 volts, it yeah it's I mean it's only for about you know five milliseconds or so, but yeah it's it's about eight amps. Okay. Okay. Everything else is a lot less than that like it's usually about 800 milliamps to one amp uh yeah but it's all that's all monitored so like when we do our test debugging we can actually you know we'll have like a serial terminal up and we'll actually see what everything is reading same thing with the um with the servos because like servos if if you tell a servo to like go to like 180 degrees it'll no matter what it will try to get to that position and if it can't physically get to that position that's when it can like damage itself and burn up 
So we have current sensing on that too. So basically if it says, okay, I've taken too long to get this position or I'm drawing more than my average current to get to the position, then again, shut myself off and report an error. I did, I did do some fancy tricks with that to make it work. Since the servo only actually spikes its current 50 times a second when it receives its pulse, if you separate the pulses, you can actually have six different current pulses in, in series, and then you can actually measure them all, all separately. Because if you have all the servos running at the same uh, duty clock, they're all piled up on top of each other. So I actually did like interrupt tricks to space it out so you can actually use one sensor to measure all six servos just by spacing out when you pulse them. Do you ever worry setting a system up like, I mean, it's it's cool it has all the fail safes, but is there any worry that you you may have the tolerances so tight that you you end up tripping it and, and causing issues just because like the monitor circuits so maybe kind of tied on it or? We, we did have that problem with the third revision board, I want to say. Okay. We had we had a current sensor for the MOSFETs, and we're like, oh, the power supply is 12.5 amps. You know that standard power supply that's turning spooky uses. It's 12.5 amps. But what we realized is there can actually be inrush current that exceeds that. It can actually go higher than that. It can go as right. high as like 15 or 16 amps for very short periods of time. This is like if you're hitting like three flippers at once, right? <laughs> right. Because you've got all those capacitors, which helps you basically have a little bit more power. So that's what we realized. We're like, okay, so we got this 12.5 amp power supply for 48 volts. So if we have a 15 amp uh, range sensor, that should be enough. But we're like, oh no, because it can actually spike a few extra amps in some occasions. And that caused a problem because we had two fail safes. We were monitoring the uh, the current, but there's also a little, uh, there's a pin on the sensor, which is the fault pin. So basically uh -huh. if you exceed it doesn't blow up the sensor, but if you exceed the range of the sensor, which is 15 amps, that pin will actually trip and shut off the relay as well. And gotcha. the system stays shut off. So we actually had to spec up the relay to 30 amps. So there has to be some sort of catastrophic failure right. for that to flip. Because was, so basically, yeah, we had hardwired in a failsafe, and that was tripping in some occasions before our software. Uh, failsafe was tripping. So yes, that is an example where the tolerance, well, on paper, we thought it was enough, but in practice, right. we found out that we could actually spike the power supply higher than its rating, and therefore we tripped a 15 amp uh, sensor. Yeah, don't feel oh, bad. Yes. You know, General Motors uh, in their uh, restraint system uh, did <laughs> actually made the same mistake. I think it was back in 08 when I was doing some stuff, and uh, they they didn't consider that their the speed of their module and software for the airbag system was so fast that it was it was actually picking up tiny bits of resistance in in pin connections and uh, setting you know airbag lights off and things like that oh no yeah that's that's the thing you got you got to test it you can write code all day but at the end of the day you got to test it in the real world and that's why debugging is hard and that that yeah. was one of those things where it was like a dumb bug to find but then, yeah, I hooked up my meter. Uh, well, no, I didn't hook up because I think, yeah, my 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 fluke only goes up to 10 amps. I want to say so. Yeah, I was actually looking at the readout on the serial terminal of what it was detecting, and I was like, basically, you'd go up there and you like hit the flippers really fast like a kid does. Uh -huh. That's the best way to stress it. And then I was getting the reports, and I saw that it was spiking like 14 14,500 milliamps, uh, like 1499. And I'm like, wait a minute. It's reporting almost 15,000 15, milliamps or 15 amps, and then it triggers. I must be going past that. Right. And then 
Then I swapped in a new sensor that would have a 30 amp range. I had to change the scaling, of course. And then, yeah, sure enough, there are some instances like where you can actually very briefly spike at about 16 amps, which is why we were exceeding. Again, the 15 amps. It was super close. Right. It, it doesn't blow up the sensor. It's The sensor can take up to like 90 amps before it would actually be destroyed. But it faults at 15 amps, which is its maximum range. And then by fault, I mean it like just triggers a fault pin. Right. And were, were you like uh, hooking this with like a low current amp clamp to a scope or something to check that or? Uh, no, I was just hip- hitting the flipper buttons as fast as oh, I Oh, and just. Right, because the system can tell you the current. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're so you're I, actually, I was, yeah. Yeah, so I'm I, so, okay, okay, one flipper is eight amps. You hit two. Yeah, very briefly, it can it can exceed the rating of the power supply. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I see it hit 14,000, 14,500, 14,090. Click. It was clearly going past 15 amps. Very so, cool. yeah, you put in a sensor that has a 30 amp range and it's no longer a problem. We typically hook up the fault line, although I think it would have to be hit by lightning for that to trip. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I buy this bin and I decide to bin, build my own machine and I destroy it, you'll, you'll be like, OK, Matt, just you don't have any business you know, building a pinball machine. It's, it's not in the cards for you because you destroyed the I think indestructible. The, again, the worst thing you'd probably be able to destroy is if you if you create a dead short you <laughs> right. might fry a mosfet and you could replace it so everything is it is it like a hole through board set like i could desolder no it's all it's mostly surface mount because that's cheaper what what's what's your recommendation for I, I haven't done a lot of surface mount board repair you know what tools are needed for that oh you really just need a soldering iron uh, like when we were showing the system to spooky um probably gonna jerry sending thugs to my house now <laughs> um, I'm like, yeah, you just take the, it's got three pads on it. You heat up the three pads, you know, tap, 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 basically like, you know, round rosy, like the three tabs, heating them up, and then you use tweezers to pull it away. Oh, then cool. you use solder, solder wick to uh-huh. clean up the pads to make them nice and flat, and then you just place a new part on and tap, tap, tap. And, and in a way, it's actually better because when you desolder something with a through hole via, that via can become damaged. It does or, a lot, the, yeah. The annular ring can rip off. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so a lot of people are scared of surface mount, but unless you're doing like really fine, intricate stuff, which a MOSFET surely isn't, well, it's not that bad. You just have to, you just have to understand that it's doable. That's my biggest thing. Some of the stuff I've looked at has been so microscopically small that I'm like, how the hell do you even, you know, like maneuver a soldering iron in here? Well, uh, a big part of it, I always tell people this, you don't have to sit there and hit every pin individually. You just flood them with solder. The real trick is cleaning the excess solder off right. and then making sure there's no, there's no bridges. It's, well, it's very much like, well, they don't really do it now, but like wave soldering, they would basically dunk the thing in a vat of molten solder and the solder would stick to the pads but since it had surface tension it would leave gaps in between so yeah even i if there's something that's a high pitch i don't sit there and try to hit every pitch individually i flood it and clean it with solder okay yeah interesting and what soldering iron for our viewers out there that maybe are just thinking about getting into doing some repairs or what, what would you recommend uh, I have a couple different things, but uh, it, what has Ben Heck used? Mine, mine isn't that fancy. I don't even know the name of it. It's just uh, it's like a variable temp weller. It goes from like <clears throat> 300 to 900, I want to say. It has you know different tips you can mount in. I would say just make sure you have one where it has variable temperature because you know if you're doing like reflow or like what I just described, you probably want a higher temperature. But sometimes if the temperature is too high, that makes the adhesive under a pad fail. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah. So it doesn't have to, and, and the tip doesn't necessarily have to be super small either, because if the tip gets too small, it cannot hold very much heat. Okay. It's more about, it sounds like some sort of sex thing. It's like, it's more about how you use the tip. <laughs> right. right. And understanding how solder, you know, how it flows, its surface tension, how it sticks to things. It, it's kind of like the liquid metal terminator. It always wants to stick to itself. It's true. And, or stick to the tip of the iron. So you could actually like, if you have, if you clean off your iron, you can actually use the tip of the iron to pull solder away from something. Like if there's tin whiskers or like strands between pins. Um, yeah. Or also and you can use the tube of flux. Uh, you can put that, I mean, solder has flux inside of it, but if you add more flux, it can also help. Yeah. So it's, it's more about cleaning up and controlling the solder rather than the accuracy of going in there and doing heart surgery. Right. Good to know, because now I won't stray away from it quite as much as I have in the past. Cool. Um, so uh, any anything you can give the viewers that'll, you know, maybe you can come out and say, hey, look, you just got to wait for my game. You know, it's you know, can you give us the realm at which your game lives in? It, you know, maybe is it a movie? Is it a, any type of tidbits? We know it's got an upper play field. Uh, anything else you uh, can share that's not going to destroy an NDA? No. That's I, it. All, all I'll say is that I want it to be a very mechanically satisfying game, and I hope it is. Very cool. Well, anything uh, in ending? I, I appreciate you taking all the time with me today. Um, no, I think it's pretty good. I would just say, yeah, um, hopefully people enjoy my game. And uh, if you haven't played Elvira House of Horrors, it's very <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ben. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. All right, once again, I'd like to thank Ben Heck for coming on for this month's show. And also, congratulations to Joe O'Malley, who won last month's special giveaway. And listen closely to the music that's playing in the background right now and name the title of the video game, the level associated with the music that's playing, and why that level is important to finishing the game. Now remember, email your answers to mtm pinball at gmail.com and I hope to see you all next month. Thanks.